0: From WGBH in Boston, you're listening to Ground Truth, human stories from the front lines.
1: Jazz, an art form born of America. And for generations of aspiring musicians, to be in the land of jazz was reason enough to voyage halfway around the world. I'm Charles Sennett, founder of the Ground Truth Project. In this fourth episode of our series called the New American Songbook, we hear about one musician's journey from the island of Cyprus all the way to Boston, Massachusetts, to follow in the footsteps of American jazz masters. On that journey, he discovers his musical path could take him in a different direction, one that points back home. Here's reporter Heidi Shin with this story.
0: At age 11, when George Lernus decided to become a drummer, His neighbors weren't too thrilled.
1: I
2: I would practice like three hours a day or more. A lot of complaints. The police came to our doors a couple of times, you know.
0: As I sit in his basement studio, though, George, at age 37, doesn't strike me as a troublemaker. Rather, he seems passionate and steadfast.
2: I just need to uh, hang it there.
0: There's a gentle determination about him, especially when he plays the drums. His basement is filled with drums from all over the world, a wallful of atonal gongs, goblet-shaped drums, snares and cymbals, and a bag of 50 or 60 mallets. He says there are more stored away, but these are the ones he likes.
2: So I, I figured out that I, I shouldn't practice during the afternoon, because in the afternoon in Europe and specifically in Cyprus, people sleep.
0: George grew up on the island of Cyprus. There weren't a lot of opportunities for musicians there. But he eventually started taking lessons from someone who had studied abroad, in the U.S. And George knew right away, he wanted to come to America too.
2: And I just knew that I want to come to Boston, you know, and do these things. So I. Think but
0: I there were a few things in the way. In well. Cyprus, there's still an unresolved conflict. It dates back to 1974 and centers around the Turkish occupation of about a third of the island. The tension there means that all young men are required to serve in the military for about two years.
2: It's so hot in Cyprus, so being in the army, you know, with our suits and our boots in like 110 degrees, that is painful.
0: But eventually, George found a workaround. He auditioned for the military band.
2: So suddenly they give me a snare drum and the drums and then I'm in a place with musicians, which was like Paradise.
0: As it turns out, they also played gigs for the generals. Things like jazz for evening cocktail parties. But being in the military didn't foster George's loyalty towards Cyprus. All he could think about was coming to the States to study American jazz. To learn to play like Miles Davis and drum like Tony Williams. Eventually, George's military service came to an end. But there was another issue.
2: His father. My father is a doctor, and he basically wanted me to fill his shoes at some point. So he saw music as a thread.
0: So he and his mom decided George would apply to music school in the U.S. in secret. George was accepted to the Berklee College of Music in Boston.
2: Yeah, so it was very tricky, like convincing him.
0: What, what finally convinced him? What made him change his mind?
2: Uh, qu- quite honestly, I'm not so sure. I think my mother, you know, like she, I think she understood that I was good um, at music. And I think she also understood that I would be a miserable person if I went to medical school without having the passion for it. It was at the very, very last moment that he said yes that literally was, like, a month before, like, the school would open here that he said, OK, go do your thing, you know.
0: So he arrived in Boston at age 20 with just a single suitcase.
2: I came light. Second day here, I, I went to the music store with the drum set. And that was, at the time, was more important to me than having clothes, you know. <laughs> I had what I had. But my mind was like, music, that's it. Period.
0: He had a roommate from Cyprus who introduced him to other friends from back home. One of them just loved Greek music.
2: I didn't really like it. I hated it, actually. I just, like, had no respect of, like, traditional music. I just was all in jazz and everything else for me was, like, noise.
0: But he liked this friend. They kept hanging out at clubs and festivals. Then slowly but surely, the Greek music grew on George.
2: So I'm not sure if that's kind of some sort of nostalgia or, or missing my country, but I think it was me rediscovering my roots, too, you know.
0: In fact, it started to remind him of home. He was 20 years old, after all, and figuring out who he was. And being away from home helped with that.
2: Sometimes if you're in your country, like, we tend not to appreciate what we have. And when I was in Cyprus, that music was so accessible for me, it was granted, it was something that, it didn't feel special.
0: So George kept at it, on the drums. But he also started studying traditional Greek and Middle Eastern music, too.
2: I started with a percussion instrument called tumberleki. It's basically a goblet-shaped drum.
0: When George talks about drumming, he uses the phrase, it captured me. And that's exactly what it looks like when George plays the drums. He's captivated by the music. By the time George graduated from college, he was making it as a musician in Boston. Some nights he played at jazz clubs. Other nights were spent with Middle Eastern and Mediterranean ensembles, playing a fusion of traditional and jazz. He had a girlfriend and an apartment, and Boston felt like home. Until he realized he couldn't stay. George's student visa had expired, and he was granted an extension. But the extension was about to expire, too. So now he needed a new visa, giving him permission to work and live in the U.S. George contacted a lawyer who suggested he apply for an O-1. It's a special visa for, quote-unquote, extraordinary artists. Extraordinary ability in the world of immigration is not what you and I think of when we use the word extraordinary. Immigration attorney Linda Rose in Nashville, she explains via Skype. Extraordinary ability in the arts means distinction, that the person is uh, recognized Uh, for their skill and ability that is substantially above that normally encountered in the field of arts. Essentially, they want you to have won a Grammy.
2: It's crazy, you know, like if you think about it, when you finish school, you don't instantly get a Grammy, you know. So I was like, I felt helpless.
0: In the absence of a Grammy, you need to collect other evidence to show how extraordinary you are, that with your talents, you'll make a valuable contribution to American music. The first step for George was to gather proof that he played in significant venues in the U.S. alongside of significant musicians. Flyers, concert programs, anything to prove that he'd been there on stage. So tell me, like, flyers, right? Who saves performance flyers? They're the kinds of things your mother would have saved for you. But as an immigrant, your parents aren't always there for these milestones.
2: I, I called everybody and... I
0: After a futile search for flyers online, George started to visit the venues play. in person.
2: Listen, I played here in, like, 2003 with this band. Can you write a letter that verifies that I was here on that date and played with this band, please?
0: Then he found himself in New York for a gig and visited a friend's apartment.
2: So I remember pouring on the floor, like hundreds of pages.
0: Piles and piles of flyers she'd collected.
2: So I had to run to the nearest, like, stable, make some copies, go to my gig, go back to Boston. You know, I found late that I need to have all these things, and I paid the price.
0: <laughs> Here's where I should mention. George has played some significant venues, like the Metropolitan Museum of Art.
2: Yeah, we played at the Met with uh, one of the operas I played. I played
0: and more recently, Carnegie Hall in New York.
2: The acoustics were spectacular where we're sitting. It felt unreal.
0: Still, George's lawyer kept asking for more, like press clippings at critical reviews in trade publications or journals, numbers from billboard charts and sales, and letters from colleagues, experts in the field who would testify to his talent. And they needed to see contracts, proof that the artist is not just being paid, but being paid above average. George's stress was mounting.
2: Yeah, if the answer was no, I would have to pack and leave basically within a month, pack a suitcase and get out of here. this was in 2006. It felt like my career was, you know, hanging on a thread, you know. It's like, you know, I, I didn't know what, I felt desperate.
0: The last thing his lawyer requested was a sponsor for George's visa. Someone from the music industry who could vouch for George and say he was extraordinary and handle correspondence with the U.S. government. If anything changed, the sponsor would need to pay George's airfare to return to Cyprus. That was a real commitment. In search of ideas, George called his mother back home. She started asking around. And as it turned out, someone in her workplace knew someone who knew someone in Boston. He was from Cyprus, too, and the founder of a well-known music promotion company in town. It was a long shot, but George was willing to try. He sent an email, not expecting a reply.
2: But the funny thing is, like, within, like, a day, he replied to me and he wanted to schedule a meeting. So I remember getting in my car and going to meet him.
0: They met for dinner. Rather than kissing on the cheek, as Cypriots would, they shook hands the American way. Yet instantly, he felt at home.
2: He, he had the, a Cypriot vibe, you know, like very friendly, warm. It, it felt like a person I knew, even if I didn't know him.
0: George shared about his musical dreams and about life back home in Cyprus. He was nervous about making the big ask, but...
2: He was, like, immediately said, yeah, I'll be your sponsor. He wanted to give me a chance to, you know, build my career. So I never asked him why, but I'm really not
3: sure. I've been helped. I was in a situation where I was out of college. That's Panos Panay,
0: Panay, George's visa sponsor. He's an executive at Berklee College of Music, the same place where George studied. I tracked him down because I was curious to know why. And why he helped.
3: So, yes, I, I said yes immediately. And I had made up my mind that I would say yes immediately because I'd been there. I was George. I was George maybe a decade earlier than George. And also knowing the fact that you often don't have a plan B. All your life you have this ambition of moving to America and staying in America and making a life here. And um, you don't really think, huh, what if it doesn't work out? So I sensed that, I sensed this dread in him.
0: But Panos is quick to note He didn't agree to it just because George was from Cyprus.
3: Yes, I had a kinship and an affinity and an empathy for where he was, but also the guy was an amazing musician. So certainly if if, if he was a lousy musician or if I felt that he didn't deserve to get that visa, I wouldn't have put my name on that application.
0: In fact, in the past, he had said no to similar requests.
3: Amid dozens of people like Yoros who were interested in getting an one and staying in this country, and I certainly didn't sponsor all of them. As a matter of fact, I think of all of them, I ended up sponsoring two.
0: As I leave Panos's office suite, we hear the traffic on Boylston Street, several floors below. It's the same street where George bought his first drum kit the day after he came to America. Before I leave, Panos adds another thought
3: god it's such a tough journey because there's no objective measurement for art who is to somehow judge that uh, this artist gets in but this artist is kept out right I mean if you have a degree of engineering from MIT you can quantify it by modern economic standards the impact if you will of that particular job you can't quite Quantify by the same economic standards what the impact is of an artist migrating to the United States. What do they do, right? Is flyers some sort of measurement of your likely impact? I, 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 don't, I don't necessarily see that. Now, can I tell you that the people making those decisions are somehow the most artistically sophisticated or educated people on the planet? I'd like to believe that, but it could just as well be yet another human being behind a desk doing their job, checking boxes, and making what is a life-altering decision for, for somebody.
0: George's visa petition was finally complete. So he submitted it, and waited,
2: and waited. Like I want to say, it was between three and five months. And in that period, I actually felt Quite optimistic that I'm gonna get it. Yeah, um, I did a lot of work, and my lawyer. In my mind, I I did what he asked. So I'm waiting for my visa. I was waiting for a, an approval
0: until one day the envelope came.
2: I, I remember getting the envelope and running home and opening it, and the first thing thing that I saw is that it wasn't approved.
0: Well, it said they'd reconsider if there was more information. But George didn't know if he wanted to try again. It would take more time and more money. Plus, what could he add to change their minds? What he did know was that being in Boston was changing the way he saw the world.
2: You're always exposed to something new. It can be like music from Africa. It can be the Balkans. It can be a crazy rhythm from South India. And you're like, wow, what is that? you know, how can I use that, you know, like, how how can I bring that element into my playing?
0: He'd realized that jazz shouldn't be static. He shouldn't be trying to imitate the classics, the jazz greats of the past. But he should be taking what he hears, elements from all the different parts of the world, and creating new sounds, a new kind of jazz, which defined a new kind of America.
2: Jazz should be all about, like, bringing that element into it that hasn't been there before, creating something new. It should be a palette and it should be an evolving art.
0: And music plays a role in divisive political and social times, he says.
2: I, I just feel that music is, like, one of those art forms that you forget about your personal beliefs and you're just, like, in the present.
0: So George resolved to stay in America. He worked with his lawyer, collecting more documents, lining up more gigs, and finally resubmitting his application. And this time, the answer came by email.
2: I think it just said approved, so it it felt fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, I remember taking my wife uh, out for dinner that day. What did you eat? I don't remember. I bet it was Cheesecake Factory <laughs> That was our, like, one of our regular stops.
0: What's your favorite
2: kind of cheesecake? Oh, the strawberry one, for sure. <laughs> That's a good one.
0: Finally, George could stay. He could be an American. A few years later, he qualified for a green card, thanks to his wife, and eventually became a US citizen. On a recent Friday night, George invites me to a performance. We're at a historic church in Harvard Square, filled with impressive arches and stained glass windows. George is performing in a traditional ensemble with his friend Vasilis. He's a Greek laoto player who also studied jazz at Berkeley and will apply for an artist visa soon.
4: Maybe next semester.
0: These days, the visa petition process requires even more evidence. And having to go back to Europe could carry a different meaning for Vasilis.
4: So yeah, most of the people know the, the good side of Greece right now.
0: Vasilis so, notes Greece that for many Americans, Greece is a travel destination. It's known for its beaches, its I resorts, its architecture. But since the financial crisis of 2008, another Greece has emerged.
4: Actually, a lot of Greeks stopped their studies in the university because of the financial crisis. Can you imagine that? and their parents cannot support them. So uh, they were forced to leave the university in their studies and their dreams.
0: Then the migrant and refugee crisis hit a few years later, sending thousands of refugees from Syria to Turkey and then to Greece and Cyprus.
4: So can you imagine the situation in Greece right now? Greeks looking for a job. Refugees are looking for a job.
0: Tonight's concert is a fundraiser. Vasilis helped start a program that teaches music to children who are homeless in Greece. Some are refugees from Syria and Albania, others are from Greece. Their parents have lost jobs with the downturn in the economy. The program is called KALESMA.
4: KALESMA. It's the calling. This is the translation.
0: Do you feel like it's a calling for you to do this work?
4: Definitely had this calling two years ago.
0: George and Vasilis say that becoming immigrants themselves in America, it's helped them to empathize with those who are newcomers, nor feel like outsiders in Greece.
4: Definitely, because when I came here, it is difficult for anyone who is alone so far from his country. So, of course, I, I could uh, feel how someone else f- feels when he leaves or she leaves uh, his or her country. You know, to go to, to another place.
0: In the green room and back, the musicians prepare for the evening. They snack on spinach pie and improvise riffs. Typically at this point, they'd scribble notes on the music, reminders to emphasize a beat here or a pause there. But tonight, there's nothing to write down. It's the music from their childhood, George tells me. They know this music by heart. As they enter the performance space, the energy is palpable, there's so much joy on stage. They raise their brows and nod their heads and smile when a passage is played just right. You see them feel the music. Greek and Cypriot Americans fill the pews. Some immigrated to the States decades ago. Others are more recent arrivals. They shout in response to familiar choruses. They hold cell phones in the air to record their favorite songs. After a gig, George gets home around midnight, or 1 or 2 a.m. He can't stay out too late. He has a family to get home to now, and his four-year-old will be up early.
2: When he wants me to wake up, he will wake me up. I think he's like an alarm clock, you know. Other than that, he's pretty good. He'll sleep through the night until, like seven on good days, six (laughs) on other days. It's not easy, but I think you get used to it.
0: You're a good dad.
2: Thank you. I want to think so.
0: (laughs) His son loves swimming at the Y and playing in their backyard. He was born in Boston, and so he's an American citizen by birth.
2: Well, my son's name is Panagiotis, and nickname is Panos.
0: It turns out they named him after George's father, who'd initially opposed him coming to America
2: but uh, we decided to do that at the last minute with my wife to name him after my father because yeah he did support us our lives here eventually i know he was a little hard coming here but he's a good father and we wanted to do it
0: it's a greek and cypriot tradition to give your son his grandfather's name in the end george followed his passions he became a drummer and an american And there are parts of being from Cyprus that he chose not to forget.
1: That was Heidi Shin reporting. This episode of Ground Truth was edited and produced by Rachel Rohr, Heidi Shin, and Ian Koss, with additional help from Marilyn Halter. Special thanks to Mina Cho, Mehmet Ali Salniko, Panos Panay, Andrea Charles, Irini Tournasaki, and Linda Rose. Go to thegroundtruthproject.org for a full list of music in this episode. Thanks also to Phil Rado, Bob Kempf, John Ryan, and Doug Sugertz at WGBH. Funding for this project comes from Mass Humanities. I'm Charles Sennett, the executive editor. We'll be back next week with a new episode of the New American Songbook on Ground Truth.